wish to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. I uh, don't let the PC up here um, distract you. I would prefer to be with paper, but uh, events have kind of conspired against me to uh, to do that. So um, I was still making notes as I was coming here, and I guess here this morning. It's been a busy weekend. If uh, if you all haven't uh, if you all haven't realized that, I, we have. Um, but I've, I've appreciated being here this morning, hearing the word and hearing what was shared. Um, God is good. And, and, it, and I especially like that thought that really um, the only thing that we need to be ready to give is, is Jesus. That's what, what we need to be ready to share with others is Jesus. Um, being prepared every, at every season. There's a song that goes, uh, give me Jesus, you may have all the world, but give me Jesus. Um, I, th- I just, uh, that, that song has been ringing through my mind and it was reinforced by what Brother Dan shared this morning. Well, I've been reading through, in a personal devotions, I've been reading through um, Kings and I've been impressed um, in, in 2 Kings reading of Elisha, and if you all remember, I just put a little bit of background to this. If you all remember, Elijah was, it was a great prophet in Israel, and Elisha was his lieutenant. And when uh, Elijah, when his time was up and God was ready to take him, Elisha wanted to, uh, Elijah told Elisha to stay, stay at camp or not come along. And remember how Elisha was insistent. He said, I want to come with you. I want to. I want to be there. He sensed something was going to happen. And uh, several times, Elijah told him, stay back, and Elisha wouldn't. Finally, Elijah says, well, what do you want? And uh, he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah, t- Elisha, Elijah tells him, well, that's a, that's a hard thing. But if you're here, uh, when I leave, if you see me go, that will happen. Well, um, remember that Elisha got Elijah's cloak. And... Uh, Elijah, Elisha went on to be a very, very great man of faith in Israel. Um, the message is titled here this morning, Syria Learns About God. We hear a lot about the Egyptians learning about God, and, you know, they're leaving Egypt, I mean, the Israelites leaving Egypt and all that happened, Pharaoh's army being drowned. But we hear much less about other nations learning about God, and actually, God was working, doing his work, manifesting himself to, to many other nations through Israel. So as I read over this account, I was, I was struck with how that God was teaching Syria uh, lessons. Now before we go there, I'd like to read uh, a few verses out of 1 John, 1 John 4, 1 through 7, or 1 through 8. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to that scripture. Maybe we could stand to read this word. It'd be good to have a change of position, probably. And uh, give due reverence to the word as well. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. 
And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You may be seated. Um, the reason I read, wanted to read this is, how does God speaking to Syria, how could that relate to, to me this morning? How could it relate to us as a congregation? Um, and let's see what lessons, uh, see if we can get a few lessons out of, out of this uh, account. I'm going to be picking and choosing uh, pieces out of this scripture, out of 2 Kings 5. Um, and you can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. First one, God demands humility. Well, I'm sorry, let's back up just a little bit. God has a servant is the first one. God has a servant. Siri is getting an education about God. First uh, Kings or Second Kings five one. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Uh, possibly by him, uh, Israel had been defeated at some point. He was also a mighty man of valor. Well, he was defeated by him, as we see in the following verses. But a leper. And the Syrians had gone out and raised and brought back captives, a young girl as captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So this man, Naaman, was a mighty man. He was a mighty man because of what? Because he had defeated Syria's enemy. Uh, Israel and brought back captives probably and one of these captives was this young servant and uh, she says something interesting here uh, she evidently Naaman's uh, wife was a, a a good mistress it sounds like or at least reasonable and uh, she knew that Naaman had leprosy and she says you know if only your master if only my master could see uh, the prophet, this prophet, uh, who is in Samaria, you know, he could be healed. He would heal him of his leprosy. Uh, and so, so uh, Israel or Syria here is, you know, getting a bit of a education about God. Now they probably don't really understand or know, you know, the connection here. They they're still looking at, at the man. They don't even know who this man is yet. Well, message is sent to the king of Samaria. Look, uh, can we come over here uh, by the king of Syria? From the king of Syria to the king of Samaria. I have a commander here who has leprosy. and I'd like to send him to you. And we hear that you can heal him. And the uh, king of Samaria goes, you know, oh, what's going on now? These Syrians are just trying to find another occasion. If we don't heal this guy, this Naaman... 
Guess what? They're going to come war against us again. They're just looking for something to get at us with again. And rightfully so. I mean, that would have been the case, except there was a man of God in, in Israel. And uh, Elisha knew about it. God had revealed this to him. And Elisha sends a messenger to the king of Samaria and says, look, send this man to me. I'll take care of him. Don't worry about it. Send him to me. And when he came, when Naaman came, Naaman came over. Naaman sent him a message. And I have this titled, God Demands Humility. He sent him a message. 2 Kings 5, verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, this is to Naaman, this commander, this strong, valiant man, this man that had conquered Israel territory, sends him a message. Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Well, we, can, we know what goes in between there. Um, we know that Naaman wasn't at all excited about washing himself in the Jordan. The Jordan wasn't known to be a clean river. And, and uh, Naaman kind of missed the point. He was like, you know, I can go back home and wash myself in my own river. That's a lot cleaner. Uh, don't expect me to wash myself in this dirty Jordan River here in Israel. And uh, he, he was headed back home enraged. He was upset. And one of his servants said to him, you know, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't he have done it? And, and uh, Naaman had, I guess, had to acknowledge that. He was, seemed to be reasonable, actually. And he listened to his servant's reasoning. He went back to the Jordan. He dipped himself in there seven times. And he came out dirty. No, he came out healed, completely healed. His flesh is of a baby, I believe. I mean, he was, he was whole again. This man whose fingers were being slowly, were being deteriorated. And I don't know how he handled the sword. I don't know how he, you know, handled life as a, as a commander with leprosy because of the way leprosy ate up flesh and so forth. But somehow he did. He kept on going, but all of a sudden this man was healed. He was restored. He was completely new again in his flesh. And of course, you know, he wanted to, to pay off Elisha for this service. And Elisha said, no, we know the story. We know how that Elisha's servant followed. And the consequence, Elisha's servant had the leprosy come on him for following and trying to take of the goods that he wasn't supposed to take. But that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at the Syrians this morning. So God restored Naaman. Um, and that's what God does. That's another title God restores. This is something that Syria was learning about the God of Israel, about God, the God who wanted to be the God and wants to be the God of Syria as well. That God restores. He, was wa he washed and he was clean. God is gracious. 2 Kings 5.17 So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice other, to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. Please, you know, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple at Rimon, when I bow in the temple of Rimon, 
May the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. So when, when uh, Naaman or when Elisha refused to take these goods from Naaman, this gold, this silver, these cloaks of raiment, this royalty offering, when he refused that, then uh, Naaman said, I'd like to take home dirt with me, a symbolic gesture, if you will, gesture of, of Israel, the God of Israel, I guess, so I can worship on this dirt because your God is now my God. And then he remembers, but how's this going to affect things? Because I get back there, it kind of becomes a political thing, you know. I get back there, I'm still in office, and well, my, my master, when he goes to the temple... He's going to want me to go along, and if I don't go along, well, I lose my position, and, you know, I'm sure his mind is going. It's going real fast. How is this going to affect everything? If I get back there, and I really worship God, and I, hmm, you know, he didn't make that decisive, take that decisive stand like Daniel did, you know, when he said, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going to still be praying towards the east. He, he was, you know, can I, can can I make some kind of compromise here? He was maybe a, a politician more. And, uh, can, you know, will, will the Lord please pardon your servant? Will he please pardon your servant this thing? Because I, I know that really I can't worship your God and, and worship at, you know, the God at Rimon too. I can't do both of those. And Elisha says to him, go in peace. Go in peace. You know, God is gracious. Uh, I don't know exactly what this says to you, but this tells me that, that God um, is not a God of the rod. He, he wants to work with people. He wants to see people grow. And he, was, he, was, he kindly um, allowed, you know, his blessing here. Go, go in peace. I'd like to talk a little about, about that a, a bit more later. God is all-knowing. I think maybe, you know, the decision Naaman made there affected this next incident. Uh, 2 Kings 6, 8. 2 Kings 6, 8. God is all-knowing. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, Make camp. My camp will be in such and such a place. So he's drawn on his, you know, map there, and he said, My camp's going to be a certain, certain place. And uh, we're going to war on Israel. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you don't pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. I, it sounds like it happened a number of times. Syria's, you know, making plans for war. We're going to go set our camp right there. And, you know, the strategies and all that. And then... Elisha would send to the king of Israel and tell him, hey, this is what they're doing. Uh, and the king of Syria was like, you know, which one of you, which one of you men is telling, you know, telling the king of Israel what's going on? Which one of you is a traitor in here? You know, let me know. And uh, his servants answer him in verse 12 and says, none, of, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. 
Imagine that. Uh, the king of Syria finding out that there is a man in Israel, in his enemy territory, that is telling the king of Israel what's going on in his bedroom. He's telling him his plan, you know, what his strategies, his war strategies. You know, that's, that's a lot better than the CIA today. I mean, they can plant little things, you know, somewhere, but they can't, they can't somehow follow people around and hear everything they're saying. Well, they probably can. They can probably put implants in. But this is, this is much better yet. I mean, he was just finding out what was going on and transferring that word to the king of Israel. And you take the element of surprise and of warfare, why it's, it's, you know, especially when the sides are pretty evenly matched, it, it takes a, a lot out of it. It takes a lot of advantage out of it. And uh, so the king of Syria, he's like, well, let's go get him. Surely he's in Dothan. Well, let's see what happens there. God works in mysterious ways, as the next title. God was showing Israel something else, that he can work in mysterious ways. 2 Kings 6, 18. When the Syrians came down, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray thee, with blindness. Now, God is also showing Israel, if you look, read the part just before this, God was showing Israel some things as well. He was showing Elisha's servant, servants some things as well. What Syria didn't know and what many of the Israelites didn't know is that while they were camped around Dothan, God also had his divine army camped around Dothan keeping a barrier there. And that's a good lesson for us. When Job talked about, you know, the Lord putting a hedge of protection around us, um, we should, we should I, th I believe we should think about that. We should pray for that hedge of protection around us. Um, but anyway, and I think of those, I think of that army, the divine army that God had around Dothan. But God didn't reveal that to the Syrians. He, didn't, he, he did something else. He worked in a mysterious way here. The, the Syrians were struck, those soldiers were struck with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Now, Elisha, Elisha said to them, so they're all out there blind as bats. You know, they're, they can't see. They, they, they don't know where they're going. They're in unfamiliar territory. They may have come in there, there during the night. Um, can you imagine their distress? They can be well-armed. They can have their horses. They can have their mules. They can have uh, their medics. They can have their, you know, whatever. But if they're blind in, in enemy territory, guess what? It's not going to do them a whole lot of good. They're, they're certainly not going to take over their enemy because their enemy can come up behind them. They can come beside them. They can do whatever they want to them, basically. They can, you know person can swing his sword around, but that's not going to help but so much for so long. So they were struck with blindness, and, and it, made them, it made them fairly docile, it sounds like. Elisha goes out to them, and he says, you know, this isn't, you're not in the right place. Come on, guys, you're not in the right place. Follow me, follow me. I'll tell you, I'll take you where you're supposed to go. So he takes them from the little, what I would consider from reading this, probably a small village of Dothan, and he leads them to the, well, fortified city of Samaria. And they're following along, clink, clink, chunk, chunk. I don't think they took their armor off. You know, they're following along. And I don't know how long of a journey that was. I didn't look it up. Um, but they finally get him there and lead him to the city gates and ride him to the city. And, you know, it sounds like it would have been pretty easy at that point for, for uh, the Israelites to, to knock him out. Um, they were vulnerable. They were inside the city. 
but this wasn't the Trojan horse type of thing where this, the, the much you know, more effective soldiers came in could take it over. This was a place where they were also captive in there. And this was a roaming band. It looked like a roving band that was sent out more than a, a military force from the Syrians. So they were in there and, you know, they were captive. God had worked in a very mysterious way. They had laid their strategy, but God had, had put it to naught. They were vulnerable. So here was another thing that God taught the Syrians about himself. He can work in a mysterious way. Then I have God is merciful. When uh, the king asked Elisha, should we go ahead and just you know, chop off these guys' heads. Let's just, you know, shall we go ahead and get rid of them? Uh, Elisha said, you know, no, no, don't, don't do that. He said, you, you let, you let uh, other people live. Well, just, just, just feed them good. Take care of them. Um, I imagine the Syrians were a little surprised when this happened. It, says, it said, uh, Elisha told them just to give them food and water. But it said that they laid him a great feast. They fed him good and then sent them on their way. And because of this, it says that these roving bands didn't attack Israel anymore. Now later on, Syrian army attacked them, but it said that these roving bands quit attacking Israel at that point. So it looks like there was a, a bit of New Testament principle was here, and it, it makes sense. You know, God is still the same. He, he wanted to manifest himself to Syria. He wanted to be serious God. God's power cannot be measured. 2 Kings 7, 6. Now this is interesting. After this incident, Syria did come back with, a, with their military force. Um, and I don't know exactly what time period elapsed here. But they came back with their military force. And it got so bad inside of Samaria that... Um, you know, remember the king walking around and seeing the uh, two ladies or the, arguing, and, and they're arguing because one, had, they had shared one of their children for a meal the night before, and, and the other lady was, they, were, they promised to, uh, you know, they each had children, and, and the other lady wouldn't, wasn't forthcoming with her child, too. And, uh, and the king, you know, tore his robes. They saw he was in sackcloth, and at that point... At that point, the king said, you know, if, if Elisha's head remains on his shoulders uh, that uh, for another day, you know, it, it, he, he was basically saying Elisha's a dead man. And, but then he made the comment as well that this must be from God. Well, Elisha had, had let the king know that this, this was not his fault, but it was the fault of, of Israel's sinning. Earlier, prior to that, he'd let them know that. Anyways, that, that message didn't, hadn't really sunk into the Israel's, Israelites. But the, you know, we're looking at the Syrians again. So they, they come here. They've surrounded the city. Uh, things have gotten terrible inside, inside of, of Samaria. And it's a, it's a mess. I mean, people are dying. They're uh, dying from hunger. And there's, in 2 Kings 7, 6, it says this. Now, the, the Syrians were well, were well equipped. 
they were in good shape, as we'll read a little later. They were in really good shape. They had lots of food. They were living it up. Um, but it says this, that for the Lord caused, God's power cannot be measured, is, is, is this point, is what God was trying to teach Syria here. God's power cannot be measured. The Lord had caused the army of Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noises of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Imagine, and they, ran, they got up and ran. They panicked. They ran home. Uh, imagine their surprise, the Syrian surprise when they got home and, and found out, you know, through the grapevine and through other, whatever other sources they had, that no king of, of Egypt, no king of the Hittites, no other king had been hired against them. Imagine what their surprise must have been when they found that out. You know, God's power cannot be measured. Uh, natural strengths can be anticipated. They can be measured. because They can be anticipated because they can be measured. Strength to strength, army to army, so many men to so many men, weapon to weapon. Uh, but the power of God, it can't be anticipated. It can't be prepared for. No weapon will mitigate God's power. <coughs> But I believe the Syrians, when they ran for their lives, they rightly, they did so. Because I have no doubt that they would have been destroyed if they wouldn't have run. Maybe that was the army that they hadn't been allowed to see earlier or hadn't seen. You know, that army that Elisha showed his servants, the, the angels with flaming swords and on chariots. Maybe that was the army. But I have no doubt if they wouldn't have run, they would have been destroyed. This was no benign aberration that they had, that, you know, was there, that they had heard. The power of God cannot be measured. Well, in summary here, Syria learns about God. It's about God. He who is, a, who is greater in us here this morning that know God than he who is in the world. You know, we, 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 uh, we read about Egypt, we read about Syria, about them learning about God. And one of the ways they learn about God is through his servants. Uh, for the Syrians, it was Elisha. He had many, God had many servants in, in Israel's day, many men of God who, who spoke up for him, who gave their life for him, who uh, led faithfully faithful men but the only the only servant it seemed like the only the servant of God that Syria really knew was Elisha and, and think about all the responsibility I have to think about this morning the eunuch the servant of God that he knew was Philip uh, you know what heathen out there knows only one servant of God and that may be you maybe me have you thought about that are there any heathens out there that that only know one servant of God, and that may be one of us here this morning. Um, that puts a lot of weight on us if that's if that's the case, and that could be the case. I believe that can be the case where a person may only know God through one person, and that person may be you or I. 
God still demands humility. He gave Naaman a pretty difficult message in, in telling him that, look, you tell, I mean, he gave uh, Elisha a pretty difficult message in telling Naaman that, look, you know, you need to tell him to humble himself and, and go into the Jordan River. But really, it's the very same today. Uh, there's not another route to restoration. It's, it's through humility. And we have to be, somehow, have to be willing to share that, that first message of, of humility. Humility and brokenness is, are still the only routes to God, to restoration. God restores. He longs to restore. He can restore broken spirits, which is much harder than healing lepers. He still does that today, and he wants to do that. If, if man will only humble himself. So we have a connection here. We have the need for a faithful servant, but we also have a need for a faithful message. And we have a faithful God. Uh, he's there. God is gracious. God healed the Syrian commander from the terrible disease. Um, the Syrian commander, you know, wanted to take that soil back as, as a way of symbolic worship, I guess. And that was good. Um, you know, my take is that Elisha was telling him when he said to go in peace, he was telling him, you know, your restoration may take a while. You're, 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 you're healed in your flesh, but your journey has only begun. It's only begun. Uh, you know, regardless what that message was that Elisha was sharing, God was gracious to Naaman. He was gracious in, 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 uh, in dealing with him and letting him go back with that framework. And hopefully... Naaman continued his journey and strengthened that journey. God is all-powerful. <clears throat> Syria's subsequent invasions into Israel were thwarted. You know, from Elisha's divine precipitation of their intent to the, to the blinding of the raiders to that overhead divine attack, counterattack. Um, that was, you know, air warfare, if you will. But it was not earthly air warfare. It was divine counterattack. God is all-powerful. He still is. He's still that way today. He's all-powerful. And um, it's not, you know, about us knowing everything, but it's, us about, it's about us knowing Jesus. That's what it all comes back to. So the question is, maybe not so much, what did Syria learn about God? But what did Israel learn about God? Did Israel learn about God during all these manifestations to Syria? Through all these manifestations to Syria, do we learn about God through his working into the lives of, of people that don't know him? Do we, as Christians, learn about God? You know, as Christians, we are servants of God, just like Elisha was. We have a work to do, just like, let's talk about Philip. Greater is he that is in us than is he that is in the world. Um, it's not about us, though. Let's remember that. It's about God. It's about uh, Jesus and, and his work. God bless you. And let's continue to pray um, that <clears throat> that God would be become more and more known to the, into the lives of, of the people that he's called us to, to be involved with. Um, 
You may have all the world, but give me Jesus. And I believe that needs to be our prayer in, in, in sharing uh, what comes through. Give me Jesus uh, and sharing that to, to that value to other people. God bless you.